Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. We are currently in stage two of our COVID-19 response where the church building is open for you to join us in person for worship. However, we will continue to broadcast the service live at 10 a.m. each week. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. I, I'm thankful to be here with you. I can't tell you how thankful I am actually to be here with you. I usually spend uh, quite a bit of time out in uh, upstairs with the, the kids and things, and it is wonderful to be down here to worship with you, to sing songs with you. And uh, today we're switching spots. So Pastor Brian and, and Jessica are upstairs uh, in the kids' ministry. Uh, he's a lot more fun than I am. And so they, 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 they welcome that, man. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's no rules Brian, and so they enjoy that stuff. And so they're, they're going to enjoy having him up there uh, today. But uh, we're going to take a little a different approach this morning. Well, we're taking a lot different approach than what you had the last few weeks, but we're not talking about that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> we're going to take a little different approach the next uh, few minutes. I, I, I'm not going to preach as much as I am going to talk about a concept, really. Um, there's a shift happening in the church, the church meaning nationwide, worldwide, some of it's much needed, um, but there's a shift happening. And as we, are, as we are becoming in our nation predominantly a post-Christian nation, uh, that, that kind of slid in somewhere around the, uh, the mid-2000s, that, that, that started becoming a term that we are becoming a post-Christian nation. That means that our defaults are no longer around uh, Scripture or God or, or even those things, even wanting to remove certain things uh, from, from public eye so it's not seen in, those, in that way. And, and, and the odd thing is, we're becoming a post-Christian nation, but some of this is just numbers, but some of it isn't. More people are going to church than ever before in the United States. Now, some of that's just population. More population, more people go to church. Some of that's not. It's telling you that, that churches, people are going to church. How are people going to church more, but we're a post-Christian nation? How, how does that happen? How, how, do we, how do we come upon that? A, a Pew Report, if you're not familiar with the Pew Report, they, they deal primarily with religious things, um, and, and they, they, do, they do a lot of things like Barna Group or, or, or groups like that that kind of get some statistics together. In 2019, they showed some pretty stark things. They showed a, a pretty major decline in 2000, from 2009 when they did this exact same report that, that, that the nation is going down as far as people identifying as Christian in their values yet more people are going to church. Is that not weird? Why? That's the question, right? Why? Why are people going to church but becoming less like Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. Sort of. Except I can admit to you that some of this is my fault. Some of it. I've been in student ministry, I've been working with teenagers for a long time. Most of my adult life, I have worked with teenagers and um, even experienced you know, youth ministry in my own life. But when I became a student pastor many moons ago, many hairs ago, 
Um, I, uh, I did whatever I could, really, to reach students, man. Whatever. Uh, I took them to, to different kinds of conferences or camps. I took them to whatever I could do, whatever, man. Showed up at whatever and, and did whatever and whatever it took. And that's what I, I, I whatever, man. And, and, and I, I did that. Uh, man, I, I want to see a generation know Christ and I want to see them young. And, and we pray this for our boys, that they will follow Jesus all the days of their life. I want that for students, but what I did inadvertently, it wasn't on purpose, but I created a youth ministry that looked nothing like my church. Nothing. My church was fairly conservative in, in its practice, definitely in its theology, but, but, but in its practice. And my youth ministry wasn't as much. Uh, not that we were wild, you know, I, you know, I mean, I'm in a suit. Uh, and so it wasn't, it wasn't crazy, but it was just, I, it looked nothing like it. So what happens when I do that? What, what does it look like when I make those choices inadvertently? I, it wasn't on purpose, but inadvertently, I'm just trying to reach students. But what happens is, guess how many of those students are presently at that church now? Take a guess. Zero. So what did I do? Some of them are in church, some aren't. If they are in church they have chosen to go to trendier churches that look a lot like what? Youth ministry. I did that. Now, I'm not saying we bore them to tears, right? I'm not saying that we do any of that. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is there has to be something done because the deal is you can see a slow fade. That same report read some things. When it talked to Christians, it asked them a few questions. Number one, it asked them who went to children's ministry. Because children's ministry is long standing. It's been around for a long time. And it said that most of those people that were, in, that were Christians that they were polling, 95% of them went to children's ministry consistently. 95% consistently went to children's ministry. When they started asking, what about, what about youth ministry? What about youth ministry? How many of you went to youth ministry? 55% of them carried from children's ministry into student ministry, youth ministry. You start to see the fade, aren't you? After high, after high school, into college, post-college, how many of them went, stayed with their church, stayed in a church? 11%. 11. That's a significant fade. 84% significant, right? You lose 84% of your dollars in your wallet, that's significant, right? Same way with people. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a slow fade. They, 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 they just go on. What's going on? What is happening that, that's, that, that's, that these are stats that are, that, are, that, are, that are very current? In the same report, it said this. When asked parents, these are not Christian parents or non-Christian parents, it's all of it com com combined. They're just, just people. 85% of parents, this is all intrinsic, you know this, 85% of them feel responsible for the belief system of their child. Whether saved or not saved, Christian or not Christian, 85% of people feel responsible for their child's belief system. 95% of parents feel responsible for their moral values, 
their moral development of their children. 95%. I'm responsible for, for Shep's moral development. I want him to have certain values. And then we say that often in our, in our home. That's not what we do. That's me taking responsibility for the value. That's not what we, they may be doing it, but that's not what we do. Parents feel a natural tension for responsibility. But what happened was this. In the 80s and the 90s, youth ministry became, it was hot, man, and big. Lots of people went to youth ministry, lots of people, it started becoming a thing. And it was such a big thing that what happened was colleges and seminaries started to develop study programs to become a youth major, right? Now all of a sudden, I don't have to just be a pastor, I can go and be a professional youth pastor. I can go to college and be a professional youth pastor, a professional children's pastor. I can go and learn how to do that, what's best, best practices, things like that. I can go, and then all of a sudden what happens then is we're professionalizing this ministry. And what happens? What do parents do? They leave it to the professionals. Just leave it to the professionals. He, he, he went to so-and-so seminary. He's got his degrees. Let's leave it to the professionals to teach, to teach my kid. Are you starting to see what's going on in our country? It's not a church problem. It's a home problem. It's a home issue. The church has become really solely responsible for the spiritual development of the nation's young people. And it's not working. We are becoming a post-Christian nation. That Pew report tells you it's not working. It's not happening. So there's a few things I want to remind you of today. I want to help you with. I'm not going to be long. Uh, we, we can't talk about this so long that it, it wouldn't get boring. I want to just give you a couple of things to, 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 to hit just real quick so that you get this and you understand kind of where I'm at and what I would love to see. And, and the number one thing is I want you to understand is this, that no, no one, no one has more potential to influence a child than a parent. No one. No one. It is arrogant to think otherwise. A parent or a guardian, who they are around, God established the family long before he established the church. In fact, Deuteronomy 6, 5 uh, through 9 conveys this. These are Moses' words. I don't know if you know much about Deuteronomy, but in this section right here, man, he is, he is giving his last farewell speech, man. He is going off the scene. The children of Israel are getting ready to march into a promised land that God promised them, and he said, he, Moses said, I'm gonna address them, and I want them to know a few things because they're going into Canaan, and Canaan, man, they, the Bible tells they had grapes that were as big as us, man. They, they would haul those grape vines back, and they were huge, this place was rich, man. They were gonna be in. They were gonna be living in the lap of luxury. They've been wandering around for 40 years in the desert, man. What couldn't be better than that? But it's about to get way better than that. And so he starts off like this. Let me read it to you. He gives them a couple of introductory words. Then in verse five, he says this. Love, you're gonna know this scripture right off the bat. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. 
So he's addressing these people, and he's addressing them to love God, man, and love them with all you are, and, and, and I want this just to be on your heart. I want this to be the first thing you're thinking about. And then he says something very interesting. Ready? Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. These are the commandments, by the way. When you walk upon the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as a symbol on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on your door frames of your house and on your gates. Put them everywhere, man. Let the scriptures be everywhere, out of your mouth, any time of day, on your doors, any, anywhere you can put it, anywhere you can have it dangling off your wrist, wherever. Why? Because Moses knew. He knew. The value of parents in spiritual formation. And he didn't want them to forget this as they were going in to a time of good times and good things. He, he didn't want them to do that. So he said, man, you gotta keep this in the forefront because you will forget. Your nation will get rich and you will forget. And then what? You'll be post-Christian. Just like that. So don't forget Hang this above them. Moses knew that, 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 and he's this people's spiritual leader. He is who they look to, to talk to God. And he says, man, get it right in your home. Don't look to Moses. Because your kids aren't, your kids are gonna look to you. That's what he's telling them. Get it right in the home. Get it right in your home. So this brings us today. The average Christian child or student will spend about 40 hours in church a year. 40 hours a year in church. One hour a week, but since we take away some sporting events, some sicknesses, holidays, things like that, the average is out to about 40 hours a week in the church. If you wanna know the contrast, the average fourth grader plays about 400 hours of video games a year. So if you wanna know the contrast there. They will spend 3,000 hours, potential hours of influence awake around their parents. 3,000 hours. So I don't know how you guys are at math, but 3,000 is greater than 40. So I'll help you out. Sunday morning is kind of early, so I'll, I'll help you out with that math. 3,000 is a lot more than 40 hours. It's a lot more. It's a ton. The home is to be the place where the scriptures are dug in. Just talking. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm talking about just Talking about this is what God did. When they ask you a question, we talk about it from a Christian point of view. When they ask you something, we talk about it from a Christian point of view. I'm not, I'm not saying you sermonize because that's not going to go well. Ask Kayla about our, our, our Bible reading with Henry. Good gravy. I mean, I, I don't know how, many, how often he's running. Like if I'm reading in there and Kayla's in there with the baby, if I'm reading in the room, Henry is gone in about two sentences. He's out the door. 
Lewis will listen because he's the good kid. But then there's Henry. And so that's what happens. It's tough, man. It's hard. That's why we don't do it that way only. Sure, that's good that they see us with the Bible open, but you know what's, what's even better? That we just talk about it in normal life because it is normal. That's what God did. Oh, God made those birds. That's why God chose to do that. I don't know why he made that so deep, because you know how, how toddlers are. They ask you a billion questions. Why, 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 why? Because God did it. I don't know. That's what we do. There's a second thing, though. If you if you're already got your, your kids, they're gone. Two combined influences... And we're, we're done. Two combined influences are greater than just two influences. Two combined influences are greater than just two influences. The church is of vital importance to the family. Why? First Timothy 3 says this. And Paul tells Timothy in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, he says, Although I, come to hope, I hope to come to you soon, I am writing uh, you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And here's what Paul says about the church. Ready? The pillar and the foundation of truth, the pillar and foundation of truth. So the home is where they're gonna spend most of their time, but the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. It is what holds truth high, or at least it should. It should elevate the truth. It should be the foundation of truth. That is why we are, I know I made light of, uh, of the series we just got out of, but it's important because there's truth there, right? We need to talk about those things. There's truth there. We need to be at the foundation of truth in all aspects of life. But more importantly, you as the church are the pillar and foundation of truth. You. The church is not this building. The church bought this building. You are the church. You are the pillar and the foundation of the truth. You see, families, moms, dads, we want people, I want people involved in my child's life. I want them involved. You know why? Right now, I'm gonna let you know a little bit of secret. I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never raised a kid. I'm raising three now. I didn't know what I was doing with, four, with, with, with one. I don't know what I'm doing with three. But here we go. And I need you because you've done it. Or I guess in the South, you've done done it. You, you've raised children. We need you. I, I, I need that influence in my life. Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 14 tells us that victory is won through many advisors. Victory is won through many advisors. The old adage that it takes a village to raise a child. It's true, that's what the Bible's saying right there. Victory is won through many advisors. In my opinion, the sharpest minds, the godliest people should be working with our children and our students. I'll say it real slow. The sharpest people, the godliest people should be working with our children, should be working with our students, especially if you're older because you got value. You've done it. I haven't. I'm not a professional despite degrees. I'm not a professional. I have a four-year-old. That's it. That's as far as I've gotten. And I've, not, I've gotten there scratching and clawing and crying. That's not him. That's me. 
That's how I've gotten there. She's better at it than I am, but I've gotten there that way. Like bowing up to your son, you know what I mean? Y'all have been there. I hope you've been there. Maybe you have, maybe I'm the only one. This is why we've adopted a strategy called Orange. Orange is not a clever little name, brand, uh, it, it's not. What, what it comes from is this, that we look at the, the home, and the heart of the home is red. It's represented by the color red. But then there's the light of the church, the gospel, the word of God. It's, 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 it's the light of the church. And when these two things combine, two combined influences are greater than just two influences. When they come together right here in the middle, it's orange. When the church and the family are on the same page, things are going to happen. Right now, they're not on the same page, and it's not working. That same report will tell you the kids are walking out of church left and right, and they're not coming back. They're not. Evangelism has to happen at that point. Not just discipleship, evangelism. We have to go after them and win them back. Even though they grew up in church, even though they were around church, they let the professionals do it and the professionals can't cut it. You know why? Because they're not their mom or dad, man. God help me if somebody's a bigger influence in Lewis's life than me. God help me on that, man. So we take this and we, 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 we combine this where not only is the mom and dad teaching the scriptures and talking about the gospel, talking about God, but then you have people ready at church who have great life experience and they're getting so many godly voices speaking in their life that all of a sudden it seems normal because so many people are speaking into their lives. It seems normal. It's normal. So-and-so, so-and-so said this, so-and-so, so-and-so, and all of a sudden it is normal. This is what we're going for. This is what we're after. As a parent, I don't want to be the only influence in my student's life or my child's life. I don't want to be because I told you I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. I need you to be an influence in my, in my child's life. We need you to be involved in the next generation. A family needs you. Families need you because every family, if you're anything like mine, you got issues, Right? I know we don't talk about it, but we got issues. I got problems. I'm, I've never been married before either. Still trying to figure that out. And they throw kids in the mix. And I just want to watch football. Right? Like, it's hard, man. Like, I don't want to watch Paw Patrol or Renovation Island. I want to watch football. Just kidding. Kayla's really good at watching football. But this is the deal. On the last night, Jesus spoke to his disciples. You know, we were talking, Moses talked about his last things. Jesus also faced a night where he had his last things. And he's got his group of guys that really, this is what it's summed down to, is these 12 that he's poured his life in, really the 11, because one of them is about to sell him out. And so he's pouring his life out. And he, he tells them something uh, at this dinner they're having, the Passover, and he's already washed their feet. He stands up. He's talking to them about life, something he wants them to know. And he drops this bomb in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says this. By, everyone, uh, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. By how you post on, by how you post on Facebook, right? By, by your T-shirts. By your love for one another. They will know you're my disciples by your love for one another, not your church attendance, but how you treat those that are attending church. Even the little ones. 
They're gonna know that you're the disciples. People are gonna know that something serious is, is going on here because we're spending time. You're taking your time to teach children. You're taking your time to teach students. You're taking your time to, to care for one another. And that's what makes it look real. Not coming to church. Spending your time, man. Time is a huge necessity. And Paul tells us this. He says that we're supposed to speak the love. Jesus says love one another. We're to love them by speaking truth. That's what Paul says. Paul says in, in, in Ephesians 4, 15, it reads like this. He says instead, speak the truth in love. Here's what happens when you do that, ready? Speak the truth in love and we, not them, Paul lumps himself in that group. He's a good pastor. He knows he needs to be taught too. We will grow to become in every respect, here's a big word, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Maturity happens when you speak truth in love. And kids and students need to hear it. Not just from mom and dad, but from you. Speak the truth in love. They need to know they're loved. They need to know that God loves them. They need to know. They need a, they need a safe place. Speaking the truth produces, it produces a mature process. It's starting to help people grow. We need to speak truth in love. So what are we to do? So here we are. What are we to do? I'm done. It seems a little bit overwhelming, right? It's a little bit heavy when we've talked about this. We probably should have talked about the other topic. It's a little heavy. So let me see if we can wrap our minds around this real quick. I want to wrap our minds. I brought something with me today. I stole that from the laundry room. Um, I have here 937 marbles. It's a random number, right? 937. I counted every, I didn't count every one of them. I just assumed. 937 marbles represents the weeks you have from the time a child is born to the time they graduate, you have 937 weeks. It goes fast, I think. My four-year-old shouldn't be four. I was just rocking him and feeding him a bottle. And now he's talking about trajectory that he learned on the show Blaze and the Monster Machines. Right? 430 I mean, 937 marbles. It represents who they are. So when I open that, and I open this one, I got a little line here. Hope this isn't too loud up here. About right. That's Lewis's life. So far, 222 weeks, gone. 222 weeks gone. What did I do with them? What, what, what did I do with this week right here? What did I do? Or this week? What did I do with that week? Because it's gone. Fortunately, I have a lot more. 
If you have a nine-year-old, you're half done. Your jar is half full. Some of you only have about 38 weeks left. 38 marbles to spend, I guess, however you choose. Moses knew this. Moses also wrote Psalms. I don't know if you know that. But he wrote a psalm in Psalm 91, 12. It's a fantastic psalm. It's old. So, I mean, like, humanity has had this song, this psalm for a long time. And it says this. Ready? Teach us to number our days. Here's why. That you may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's a prayer that that Moses wrote out because he knows the power of numbering your days. Number them. Because they're a shepherd already. He's over there in that little baby carrier. But there's his days. Gone. Just like that. Teach me to number our days. You see, when you start losing your marbles, you start getting serious. He knows. Moses knew that you start to count your days, you number your days, you're going to make you're going to make different choices. You're going to get serious about time. When you physically see them going away, I would love, marbles are expensive. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. They're expensive. Um, especially 937. I would love to give this like a baby dedication to people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I'm going to have to make, them, make a deposit or something. Anyway, it, it's important. Reggie Joyner said it like this. Count your days so you can make your days count. Count your days so you can make your days Count. This is not just a parenting passage. This is good for anybody. These are your days, man. This is where your family is at. It's important that we, that we know this. There's an interesting passage I finish up. Interesting story, a book, really, a whole book in the scriptures called Nehemiah. I don't know how many of y'all have ever dove into Nehemiah, but it's a fantastic story. He's a great leader. He shouldn't have been a leader. He was a slave that was made... Um, to, to work for a foreign king. He had never really been to Jerusalem, his foreign land. He had never been there. And, um, he, but he, he got word back that it was in shambles, that the whole, the whole city was falling apart and it was being robbed and raided constantly. They had no walls, which were important in those days. They had nothing. And so he, he feels a burden. God tugged on his heart that like, you need to do something. So he went to the king who he had gained favor with and he says, I need to go home really for the first time. And I need to see it for myself. And the king said, oh, you know what, I'm going to let you. And I'm going to give you all the stuff you need to build the walls. So Nehemiah goes, and it was hard. It was hard work, and it was not easy. And there were tons of problems. And those enemies did not want their walls built because they liked just rolling over there and taking what the people had. Uh, and, and, and they loved it. And so Nehemiah had a plan because these people were causing some major problems. He had a plan. Let me read you this plan. It's interesting how he decided to do this because even Nehemiah knew what was important. Ready? He said this, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, at the exposed places, the places with gaps. And here's how he did it. 
posting them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Ready? And fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Fight for them. Nehemiah knew that in order to protect the whole deal, you had to make it about the family. Church is no different. It's important that we think about families and that we give people the resources and the plan to fight for their families because they only have 937 weeks and most of you don't even have that. This jar is pretty empty. You need to fight for your family because the church has a great mission. And the reason why the mission is kind of lagging right now in our country is because we have kind of walked away from the home responsibility. And I don't know what other churches are doing. I don't care. I know what we want to do and what we need to do. And that's give our families every fighting chance they have to stand and to be the strength at home for their children because they have the greatest influence of uh, of anybody around them, 3,000 hours to R40. I'm gonna ask if you wouldn't mind to bow your heads. I'm gonna pray for us as Scott comes up. Father, we're so grateful for your great grace. Grateful for these passages over and over. You're, you're, you're about family, man. What's crazy about the scriptures is, what I love that you didn't hide is that they're, we are hard-pressed to find a good family in Scripture because you use broken things. It doesn't matter where we're at as a family right now. You, you thrive in taking what is broken and making it work. And I pray that you would do that. If there's families here that are insecure because they didn't start with their kids early enough or maybe their kids are starting to rebel, then who cares? Let's start now. These marbles are, are we're losing our marbles left and right. Every week, one's going away. And this is how we start to see the change. By making our marbles count, by making our time count that we have with our children, with our families. As the church comes alongside and joins the fight and we're no longer just red and yellow over here and we kind of mix it every once in a while, maybe once a week, maybe once a month, whatever. No, 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 no. It's together now, supporting each other setting up to win. We pray, Father, that you'll help us in this endeavor. Help these parents. Help me. Good gravy. I don't know what I'm doing. And I need your guidance. I need to learn how to teach the Bible to my kids in a way they can understand it, in a way that makes Jesus look like the treasure that he is, like the treasure he talks about in uh, Matthew, that you go and you buy the field because the treasure is so great, you dig it up because it is so wonderful, and you hold on to it because it is so wonderful. Jesus is the treasure of our lives, and I want my kids to see that. Lord, I love you. I pray that you'll help these parents, Lord, help them to make a renewed commitment to their families, that they're going to change not just their kids' life, but our culture. We don't have to be post-Christian. 
we're just letting it happen. Help us, Lord. We love you. So it's precious in the holy name. Amen.